I'd love for you to join me in 1 Corinthians 15. I've already talked about it a bit, and we've emphasized it in our prayers and communion. And, and uh, Beautiful text, beautiful text. If you're visiting with us, we again welcome you. An honor to be able to worship God together. Something was going on at Corinth, lots of stuff. If you're familiar with First and Second Corinthians, you, you, you know this. There's a lot going on at Corinth. A lot of stuff that shouldn't have been going on at Corinth. Some stuff that should have been going on that wasn't. So Corinth had a lot of problems. It was in a uh, pretty rough part of the Roman Empire, Corinth was. And uh, they were influenced by a lot of different philosophies, a lot of different kinds of thinking. And so they had some pagan influences in Corinth. And it was, as you may remember, a very sexualized part of the world. They were very proud of their sexual freedom. They could do whatever they wanted. No consequences. They were also influenced by some Greek kind of thinking. You know, um, since Alexander the Great had conquered the world about 300 years before this, Greek culture had permeated the Roman Empire. And the Romans, of course, took over after that. But Greek culture permeated the Roman Empire. And, and there were some influences at Corinth that were going on that, that, that you need to know about. I'm, I'm not just talking about this for your your pleasure, you know, you probably don't necessarily like talking about Greek culture a whole lot. There's a, there's a reason for this. First Corinthians 15, Paul is dealing with something. You know, you probably, as we read this, you know that he's, he's dealing with some sort of thinking that, that he has a problem with. And he's talking about the resurrection. But what, one of the things that probably was going on at Corinth, among the church there, among the Christians there, was they were denying the resurrection. Now, by that, they weren't denying that there was life after death. Everybody Almost everybody in the ancient world, whether you were Jewish or Greek or whatever, you believed in some sort of life after death. So it wasn't that they were denying some sort of a resurrection. They were denying, apparently they were denying a bodily resurrection, which was very common in the Greek world. They, they believed in life after death, but they believed that this body was evil. This, this material body was bad. It was sinful. It was evil. And therefore, death, you'd be freed from this evil body. And you'd be, you'd be free from that. You know? So you didn't have to worry about this body going with you or this body being resurrected in any sense. Well, Jews didn't believe that. And more importantly for us, Christians didn't believe that. And the Bible doesn't teach that. Uh, and Paul's dealing with that right here in 1 Corinthians 15. They were denying a bodily resurrection. And Paul says, man, you don't have any idea all the things that you're denying if you believe that, if you believe that the body will not be resurrected. So that's a little bit of the background for what he's talking about here. All right, you got your text with you? I do hope you, you will look at it with me. Your printed Bible or your tablet Bible or phone Bible or whatever it is that you use, I'd like for you to turn and look at 1 Corinthians 15 with me. Now, notice what he says at the first part of this. I'll read a few verses because I want you to get the sense of where Paul is going with this. I would remind you, verse 1, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he goes back to this gospel. He's reminding them of where they had come from. He says in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. We'll go on and we'll read more about that in just a minute. But he starts out by going back with them to that gospel that they had received, this, 
this emphasis on that which was, is of first importance. There are a lot of things that matter to us as Christians. There are a lot of things that we believe. But Paul here directs our, attentions back, our attention back to that central component of what it means to be a Christian. And he goes back and he says, I delivered to you that which I received, that which is at the center, that which is of first importance. He says, and here it is, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and so on. So at the beginning of this chapter, against that backdrop of their denying bodily resurrection, he starts with that which is of first importance. And he says, okay, let's go to the very basics of this. All right, let's, let's, let's talk about your faith. Your faith is grounded in the fact that according to the scriptures, Jesus did two very important things. And that is, those two things are, number one, he died consistently with what the scriptures teach. Now, by the way, this, this is pretty important. 1 Corinthians is one of the earliest documents in your New Testament. All right, this, this matters for us. It's one of the earliest, probably written in about the year 55 or so. So you're talking about 20 years, maybe 25 years or so since the resurrection of Christ. This is earlier than Matthew, earlier than Mark, earlier than Luke or John, earlier than any of the four gospel accounts that talk about the resurrection in detail. We've got this letter from Paul that predates those. And so you got this early recollection about what had happened. And Paul says, all right, I want to take you back to the kernel, to the, to the essence of what it means to be a Christian. And he goes back and he reflects on the gospel. And he says this, there are, there are a couple of very important things that are consistent with the scriptures. What he means by scriptures he didn't, he didn't have a New Testament. He's not talking about the New Testament. This is one of the earliest documents in the New Testament. He's not talking about the New Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the Hebrew Bible, the first 39 books of, of your Bible today. He says, according to the Scriptures, two things were very, very important. One, Jesus died according to the Scriptures. Probably he's got in mind passages like Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, remember that? Led as a sheep to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. Remember that text, Isaiah 53? It's so what the, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading in, in, the, gospel of, in, the, in the book of Acts, chapter 8. The eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53. So Paul probably is talking about that. Or he may have been thinking also about passages like Psalm 22, which Peter quoted in his sermon in Acts 2. Psalm 22 is very messianic, pointing to the crucifixion. His hands were pierced, it says in Psalm 22. So Paul is saying the Old Testament scriptures told you that Jesus was going to die. And it also told you he was going to be resurrected. And my guess is what he's got in mind there is he's got passages like Psalm 22 and others, which Peter quotes in, in Acts chapter 2, where the Old Testament predicted that God is going to raise Jesus from the tomb. Now, in the, the Psalms, what the psalmist writes about is a time when, well, David's speaking in first-person kind of language. He says that my body would not see corruption, but he wasn't talking about his own body. He was talking about that one who would sit on his throne. Here's, here's what I want you to see here, though. I want you to recognize what Paul is doing is he's saying, look, we're going to talk about resurrection in a second. This is, this is their problem. They, they got a problem with the resurrection. But you need to understand, this ties back to the very essence of what you believe. This is important stuff. So it was in accordance with 
scriptures what Jesus did. Now, Paul goes on and he says this. All right, so we know the Old Testament says this was going to happen. But let me give you some other confirmation about this. He says, and I appreciate Wade's referring to this a few moments ago prior to communion. Verse 5, he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. And he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, those, though some have fallen asleep. Can you imagine why that might have been important to these people? If you're denying resurrection, then you're denying the resurrection of Christ. If you're denying the resurrection of Christ, you're denying the very validity and foundation of Christianity. And so he says, look, you don't have to just take my word for it. He, he appeared to Peter. He appeared to all the apostles. He appeared to more than 500 people at once. Now, some of them have died, but many of them are still alive. Go, here's the implication. Go ask them. If you're denying resurrection, if you deny a bodily resurrection, then go talk to some of these guys. They saw him. More than 500, some of them are still alive. Uh, most of them are still alive. Then he appeared to James. Then, then to all, James, is, um, that's the Lord's brother. Jesus' brother, the one who wrote James, it's a, a few letters down below 1 Corinthians in your Bible. That James, that's the one. James, according to the book of John, James did not believe in his brother. He didn't believe in Jesus earlier on. But my guess is what happened to James, we see in Acts, the book of Acts that James is, an, is a pillar of the church. So something happened between his disbelief in the book of John and his being a very important part of the church in the book of Acts. And that something that happened is Jesus appeared to his brother. That's what he's talking about there, James. That's that James. Then he appeared to all the apostles. Again, he mentions the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Also to me. Talking about Acts 9 when Paul, Saul, was on the road to Damascus and he saw the bright shining light that blinded him and Jesus had a conversation with him. I am Jesus whom you persecute. And Paul becomes a follower of Jesus. So you see what he's done here. He's, they're denying resurrection, bodily resurrection. He's going to get to that emphasis in a moment, but first he starts with the gospel and he says, look, the scripture said Jesus was going to die, he'd be buried, he would be resurrected, and he would be seen by people. We're not just talking about some sort of, I don't know, some sort of vision, some sort of um, ambiguous kind of, well, maybe we saw him, maybe we didn't. Paul is saying, look, the resurrection of Jesus is grounded in eyewitness testimony, the apostles and Peter, and not only those who were already believers, but people like James who wasn't a believer, people like me, Paul says, who I wasn't a believer. You can ask these people, we saw him. We saw his body. That's why John, one of the apostles, would start out, 1 John, one of his letters, near the end of your New Testament, by saying, we saw him, we beheld him, we have touched him, our hands have handled him, his body came out of the tomb. Not a, not a phantom, not some sort of mirage, not some sort of spirit. Our hands touched him. His body came out of the tomb. He's dealing with people who did not believe or at least were being influenced by a philosophy that suggested that there was no bodily resurrection. And so Paul is emphasizing, hey, wait a second. Scripture said Jesus would be resurrected and we saw him. We saw him. So he appeared to a lot of people. Okay. Now look, this is a text we, we read earlier. Bob read this for us. Starting in verse 12. 
Today, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of people are thinking about resurrection. And I mentioned to you, I'm thankful for that. A lot of things we would potentially say in response to thinking about resurrection. We certainly want people to think about it more than once a year, right? I want you to think about it more than once a year. I want to think about it more than once a year. We'll talk more about that in just a minute because there are all sorts of implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is a just a huge kind of life-altering kind of conviction. I mean, if you believe in the resurrection, it changes everything you are. But Paul first says, okay, let's talk for a minute as if the resurrection is not true. Let's, let's talk about resurrection not happening. That there is no bodily resurrection like you and some of your pagan, your Greek pagan philosopher friends are trying to teach. There's no bodily resurrection. All right, let's talk about that for a minute. So that's where he starts in verse 12. He says, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? All right, so there's no bodily resurrection. Bodies don't come out of the tomb again. If that's true, look what he says. Then Christ has not been raised. Well, if there's no bodily resurrection, then Christ's body didn't come out of the tomb. And verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we are liars, verse 15, because we have said that God raised Christ from the grave and he didn't raise him from the grave if there is no resurrection. So we are liars, verse 15. And verse 16, if the dead are not, are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And those who have died, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They don't have any hope. And if in Christ we have hope in this life, only we are of all people most to be pitied. Do you see here he's saying, if there is no bodily resurrection, then there is no resurrection of Christ from the grave. And if there is no resurrection from, of Christ from the grave, then our faith is worthless. It is futile. It is nothing. And we are liars because we've told you that we saw him. Then we're lying to you. And if there's no resurrection from the grave, then Christ has not been raised and your faith is futile. And those who have already died, they are eternally lost because... There is no forgiveness of sins apart from the resurrection of Christ because if there is no resurrection of Christ, then the one who died on the, on the cross, if there is no resurrection from the grave, then the one who died on the cross is just another human being like everybody else. You see this? It's just why it is mind-boggling to me to know that there are people in the world today, there are people in the world, in the, in the religious world, in the I'm using this very broadly here in the, in the Christian world who deny the resurrection of Christ. Christianity for many people today is nothing more than a kind of social movement. It's a, it's a movement that makes people nicer and better and, and more socially conscious. And, and it, it, it's, a, it's a movement that is grounded in the ancient teaching of some people who were followers of a rabbi named Jesus. But they don't believe in the miracle of the empty tomb. For the life of me, I don't understand that. Because if we deny the resurrection of Jesus, if we believe that that was a lie or a hoax, or maybe not a lie, maybe not a hoax, but maybe just a mistake, if we believe that, then Christianity crumbles. What we're doing here is a waste of time, folks. I mean, we may get something out of it. You may walk out of here a little bit more inspired to be a better person or whatever, I don't know. You can get that in a lot of places. I mean, you can get that from some, you know, positive mental 
attitude kind of stuff, be a better person, that sort of thing. Our faith is grounded on the fact that there was an empty tomb. That is what we believe as Christians, and Christians have been confessing that since the very beginning of our faith, of our religion, of Christianity. So if there is no resurrection, then, man, we ought to be pitied by the world because we're following a hoax. But, of course, verse 20. Now I want you to look. We'll spend the last few minutes of our time together this morning just kind of reflecting on, all right, we said all that. Paul is dealing with some mistaken notions, okay? But, but starting in verse 20, he says, but, wait a second, in fact, he goes back to where he was, in fact, Christ has been raised from the grave, from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead. And if that is true, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, he is the first fruits. So there are all sorts of implications of the empty tomb. And that is why it is crucial for us to recognize that on this Sunday when people think about resurrection, it has more to do than, got, than buying a new dress. It has more to do than buying some new spring clothes and hunting Easter eggs and whatever other traditions we might follow in the spring of the year. It has all sorts of implications for how we live, who we are, what we think, what we believe, the kind of priorities we set, and not just on this day, but tomorrow when we go to work, when we go to school, when we set our priorities, when we decide how we're going to live. If we believe in the resurrection of Christ, it changes everything about us. And that is what Paul argues here, starting at verse 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Here's the first thing that, and really this permeates the text. This is the most important thing that it changes about us. Verse, he says that, verse 20, he says that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Those who have died, he's the first fruits. The first fruits... That, that kind of terminology is used a lot in the Bible. It's the, the first fruit that you get from your harvest, the crops that you planted. You get the first fruits. And those, in biblical kind of terminology, those fruits guarantee that the rest of the harvest will follow. And so of all those who have fallen asleep, Jesus also fell asleep, but he came out of the tomb. And so he is the first fruits of those. He is the promise that there are other resurrections to come, that there also are going to be resurrections of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 21, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Here's the thing about the resurrection of Christ. The most important implication it has for you and me is that we are convicted that this life is not the end. We all have been involved in losing loved ones, friends, family members, Probably about all of you in this audience, I'm guessing all of you who are really uh, aware of, old enough, and mature enough, and you understand what we're talking about right now, you've been to a funeral before. And that moment, you know, it's an interesting thing when you go to a funeral because you're reminded in many ways, though it's not about you necessarily or me as we attend funerals or conduct funerals. It's not about us. 
But nonetheless, I'm always reminded to think of my own mortality. Aren't you? That's going to be me one of these days. It's going to be you. If the Lord delays His coming, then that moment's going to come for everybody in this room. How do you face that? There is something in us that we have this natural, inherent, this innate fear of death. We, I mean, we just do. We, we fear death or we fear what leads up to death. We fear that process of dying, you know. It's part of humanity. Every culture in every people in every time and every place, they have this innate sense, this dread of, of dying. But Paul says here, and throughout this text, we're not going to read all you know, 58 verses of this chapter. There's a lot here in other places. But Paul says the resurrection changes that. It, it doesn't remove entirely because we're human beings. It doesn't remove entirely our fear of death. But it changes the way we think of it. And what he's saying to these Christians is, if you deny a bodily resurrection, you deny the resurrection of Christ. And if you deny the resurrection of Christ, then you deny any kind of hope for your life, it changes the way you think. He goes on in this text and he says, then we're nothing more than Epicureans. <coughs> we ought to live like the Epicureans. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. I mean, this is it. If there's no resurrection of the dead, hey, folks, I mean, Paul, Paul gives us permission. Let's just have fun. This is it. But of course, Paul doesn't believe that. This is not it. And our perspective is completely shaped by the fact that his tomb was empty. And one of these days, when Jesus comes back, we as Christians confess this and we believe this. When he comes back again, that tomb where your body will be put to rest, and it's got that nice little gravestone sitting at the head of it, that that tomb is going to open up. And just as Jesus' body came out of that tomb on Sunday morning... 2,000 years ago your body is going to come up out of the grave it's going to be changed and Paul reflects on that a lot in this chapter we're, we're not going to look at that today but talks about a lot it's going to be changed it's going to be glorified it's going to be the same body but different it's going to be, it's going to be a body it's not, you're not just going to be some spirit floating around on the clouds up there you know playing a harp or whatever it's not going to, that's not going to be it your body is going to come out of the grave it's going to be changed it's going to be glorified it's going to be immortal. It's going to be eternal. It's going to, going to be unaffected by disease and sickness and pain and death and all that. But it's your, your body's going to come out of the grave. That's what Paul argues in this chapter, what the entire narrative of Scripture argues, that God is, is working a work in the world where he's going to redeem us and he's going to shape us and change us one of these days. But that's the hope that we have as Christians. And if you were to read on in this chapter, and I hope you will, Paul makes that argument. That we are either in Adam or we're in Christ. And if we're in Adam, then we're going to receive the consequences of, of our sin, walking in the footsteps of Adam. The day that you eat of the tree, you will surely die. And Adam began dying. Adam and Eve died. We're going to either be in Adam and we're going to experience eternal death, or we're going to be in Christ and we're going to experience resurrection and the eternal life that follows that. You see, the hope that we have as Christians is that this world is not the end. This life as it is, is not the end. He goes on and he says in verse 22, As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And so he's talking about the forgiveness of sins is tied up in the resurrection of Jesus and throughout the chapter. Verses 24 and 25. Let me refer to these. 
because I alluded to this earlier, but verse 24 says, then comes the end. He's talking about when all of this is going to come to conclusion, come to its fruition. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Let me close this by asking a couple of questions. Do you believe in the resurrection? Do, do we believe it as Christians? I, my, my own, I don't know the heart of every one of you, but I, I suspect most everybody in this room believes in the resurrection of Christ. You believe the tomb was empty. You believe that those young ladies went to the tomb early Sunday morning preparing to anoint his body and they found it empty. And you believe that Peter and John coming a little bit after that they ran to the tomb and Peter stooped inside and he looked in there and he saw those clothes folded neatly. And You believe that Peter and John went back to the other apostles. You're not going to believe what we just saw or what we didn't see. The tomb was empty. The body is not there. You believe the confusion of the apostles are trying to sort through what in the world is going on. You believe that those two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, that Jesus was walking along beside them and had this conversation. They're confused because their Lord has died and Jesus opens their eyes. You believe that. But an important question, an important question is, what difference does your and my conviction that the tomb was empty, what difference does that make in our lives? What difference does it make? Does it change the way we view death? Does it change the way we view life? Does it change the way that we view our own role in this world? Does it change the way that we view the, our, our purpose in existing? Are we living only for Friday night? Are we living only for a raise? Are we living only for retirement? Are we only living for some definitive point in this world's future? Or are we living for God's final act when Jesus comes again and everything's going to change? What are we living for? What are we living for? It changes everything. So the questions are, do you believe in the empty tomb? I believe that most of you do, but but if you do believe it, Paul, this is Paul's argument in this chapter, if you do believe it, it changes everything. And if our lives don't reflect this conviction, then we don't really have the conviction. So if we believe that he was raised, then it changes everything. And if you're not a Christian this morning, if you believe, if you believe in the empty tomb, if you believe in Jesus of Nazareth, you believe that he died, that he was buried, that he was resurrected, and that he was sent to the apostles and more than 500 and Paul and James, you believe that then you're going to reenact that death, burial, and resurrection in baptism. You're going to die to self and say, Lord, I am a sinful person and I am hopeless. You're going to die to self. We're going to bury you in water in the grave. And you're going to be raised up just as Jesus' body was raised up in, in, in a reenactment of what he did and then also in anticipation of what God is going to do for you one of these days when your body goes into the tomb. And when that final trump sounds and when that shout is heard then you're once again going to be resurrected from that grave see all these 
These metaphors just tie together so beautifully. So if you're ready to become a Christian today, we'll baptize you in view of what Jesus did and in view of what he's going to do of a death, burial, and resurrection as you put him on in baptism. We would love to help you in your obedience to Christ. Do you believe, do you believe that he was raised? you believe that? It changes absolutely everything about the way that we live our lives. If you're not a Christian, we invite you to come. If you are one, but one who's lived as if there were no resurrection, why don't you come back to him today? Let's stand and sing this song.